Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. My name is Tom. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I donate to the New Evangelicals. The Pentecostal Christian fundamentalism of my childhood insisted that I could not be both gay and Christian. For over a year and a half, I participated in an ex-gay live-in program that tried to rid me of my gayness. I left the group as a gay man and rejected my Christianity. But in time, I could no more stop being Christian than I could stop being gay. The Jesus heart drew me back to Christian story and symbol. Embarrassingly, not until my mid-40s did the blatant obviousness of it all speak to my heart as if from a burning bush. I get to decide if I'm a follower of Jesus. No one else gets to decide that for me. That realization was my true born-again experience. The New Evangelicals welcomes all seekers and they welcome questions. The fundamentalist idolatry of right belief and its arrogant adherence to a creed frozen in time eclipse the true Christian message. I support the New Evangelicals because they understand that. All right. Well, here we are, friends. End of year recap. Another one. Noah, it's good to have you on the podcast. You're obviously the producer of the show, so I'm, I'm glad to shoot the shit with you on this one. And then also, <laughs> friends, we have a very special guest because in September, um, we did a Many Hands Make Light Work giving campaign. We gave away some very cool prizes, including a mystery box that I just found out the person finally got. We took some time to really plan that out. And also, one of the giveaways was co-host a podcast with me. And so we have Kieran, who won that. Uh, Kieran, good to be with you. Thanks for making time. Good to be with you as well. So you're you're like someone who's in the TNE community. You listen to the podcast. And I thought, you know, out of all the episodes that I'm doing, it is fun, of course, having a co-host for for an actual guest interview. But having someone from the community be with us during a year-end recap, I think is just really good because then we can get your perspective. Because sometimes me and Noah, it's just so hard to know like what the audience is thinking because podcast audiences are usually a little more quiet. You know, podcasting is very much a one-way street. There's not a built-in reply button unless someone takes time out of their day to email you or send you a DM. So I'm excited to have you on to kind of get your perspective as an audience member of the podcast over the past year and really just TNE as a whole. So I'm glad to have you on. I'm honored to be here. It might be good just for the audience and also me and Noah to have just a brief kind of you know understanding of just who you are, how you found TNE and what do you do for work? Maybe those are, are three good things. So sure. we'll give you the floor first, Kieran. Go ahead and tell us that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of have a bit of a unique relationship to the evangelical world. Um, I actually grew up Catholic and Methodist um, to a son of two history teachers. And my dad almost became a Jesuit priest. Um, so I was kind of ba- literally wow. baptized into sort of two sides of the Christian tradition. Um, and that was always close to my heart. You know, my parents, my dad coming from an Irish Catholic family, the struggles of kind of Christian identity in America and the immigrant experience um, was a big part of my upbringing too. And how my parents kind of wanted us to 
believe that to follow Jesus is something that, you know, we do in a church, but we also very much in my Irish ancestors, we, we pray in the forest too. We find God, um, you know, for ourselves, that personal relationship. Um, and I think the challenge for me growing up, I, I love my churches on many issues, um, you know, theology, social issues on, you know, they had their challenges as well. Um, but um, I, I struggled as a young person who was really intensely into faith and spirituality at a kind of oddly young age. I was asking my mom questions about heaven when I was, you know, <laughs> still in the car seat. But um, you know, I struggled with how to kind of dig deeper than maybe, you know, some youth who are kind of just figuring out what they feel about God are. Um, so I did connect a lot to evangelical radio, um, you know, to various literature programs. Um, even though I didn't belong to an evangelical church in my teens for most of the time, um, I was enriched by a lot of this sense of, oh, there's a broader community here. Um, you know, this is the, the Christian radio days, you know, 90s Christian rock and late 80s, um, you know, before we really had podcasts and even the internet in the early days. Um, so that was grateful to me. Um, but at the same time, I, I realized as I went to college um, and kind of came to better understand some of the more problematic aspects of Christian history um, and some of the theological implications, especially of a very colonial or very kind of um, culturally um, ethnocentric uh, Christian Western tradition, um, that it's hard to sort of figure out how to follow God, you know, in a community that's done certain things. Um, I, I also had, I had experienced an intervarsity fellowship on my campus. I went to a little Methodist school in New Jersey, um, and I don't want to speak ill of them. Um, I was actually grateful in many ways because they were a more international group. We had a multiracial presence on campus. Um, but it was also a place where I realized that my theology in many ways went back to my roots of a pro more of a pro progressive um, social justice oriented faith and family history. And I really had a crisis because I'm like, well, these people are telling me how to follow Jesus, you know, with this formula. And I'm not sure if I can fit myself into these things. Um, so, you know, after I graduated in the mid 2000s, I went through a few years of what I called, you know, really namelessness or spiritual seeking. We didn't have that de deconstruction language yet. Um, but it was also people <laughs> from my university group, actually, including some unexpected people that I maybe started out a little bit more conservative in some areas, but by our last year or two, they were actually inviting me into Bible studies on hard questions, or we were reading, you know, books like a new kind of Christian together, kind of more of that emerging church space, um, trying to make sense of, you know, mm -hmm. what are safe places to ask questions, um, you know, without being told that we're sure. heretics or that, you know, we're outside the Christian faith. Um, but I, and by, by no means that I experienced trauma, you know, to the degree some people have, so I don't want to, but I, I did have a deep sense of homelessness for several years um, that I didn't know I, wa I wanted to follow Jesus, but it became too painful to call myself Christians in some ways. Right. Um, but it was actually in some ways through that journey, even though I didn't necessarily have all the resources, um, the, the words for it um, is being able to actually visit people of different faiths and different churches. Um, I prayed with Sufi folks in New York City when I was doing a year of service um, through Covenant House. And uh, they would actually want to sit together, talk about stories about Jesus because they knew I was a Christian and there was this deep hospitality. Um and they would even go upstairs and break bread, um, you know, in an upper room and have soup very much like the last supper. It was like, this is interesting. Um, so spaces like that, you know, many other spaces and increasingly indigenous spaces as well um, became something that kind of spoke to my heart. And that I, I realized I could follow Jesus better by not being afraid of those questions, not being afraid to, you know, be mm. present. Um, and eventually I did find a place more in the Episcopal Church, um, and in particular through Boston, um, through a, a, some queerest Episcopal spaces, beautiful church called The Crossing, um, which I was involved in some of the early years for, um, as well as some other Pentecostal evangelical partners. Um, we have some folks up in Salem who are doing peacemaking work in that very complicated uh, interfaith space, um, and uh, including a space where historically some Christian groups have gone to protest and condemn the witches. And they were actually a group called The Gathering that wanted to be peacemakers and friends with the local faith communities. Um, so we had a lot of partnerships. Wow. And um, when I was in Divinity School um, in Boston at Harvard, we ended up bringing in a lot of different um, voices from the emerging church conversation, as well as just interfaith and social justice voices generally. Um, 
but me, me especially, what I was doing there the most was I was building connections with indigenous communities as well. Um, I actually mm. worked at the Boston Native American Center. Um, I was doing work with indigenous student groups on campus who were part of our divinity school um, as an ally, but trying to respectfully, you know, wrestle with the history of my tradition and figure out, you know, what does ministry mean for me as a, a Christian who feels this call to peacemaking from my birth? Um, and I ended up going out for about six years to work in indigenous spaces in, in Omaha and Lakota territory. Um, and actually was part of several mm. intentional communities. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, mm. I've been back here since working. I currently work with people with disabilities. I kind of have a bivocational path like many, uh, you know, in our generation. Yeah. Um, I do, do a sure. school and adult uh, educational vocational counseling for persons with disabilities, um, especially intellectual disabilities. Um, but I also work with uh, many different anti, uh, anti-racism and particularly with a local, one of the state recognized tribes in New Jersey, the Ramapo Nation. Um, and we've been kind of helping them with a lot Wait, of Wait, do you live in New Jersey? I live along the border. Um, I won't go, go into exact details, but uh, I live. Uh, you, you know, know, you know, you know, you know, you know. I'm in South Jersey, right? By, by Philadelphia. I do. I was wondering. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just a couple of counties Jeez. up all, along the Hudson. Mahican Tuck is what we call. Oh it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So wow. we should have done this in person. <laughs> I know. Seriously, no, because <laughs> you're in Lancaster. We could yeah, have made yeah. this an in-person yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, wow. maybe we could okay, do, a, well, maybe I mean, could do a local beer camp yeah. one of these days. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. really. <laughs> Let's do it. Wow. I mean, Kieran, what, what, what a pedigree. Thanks for sharing all that. And then how did you yeah. find out, like, how did you find TNE? How did you find us? I'm so curious. Yeah. And I think like many during the, you know, during the, pandemic you know we struggled with the sense of how do we continue our activism and our ministry and our work you know with everything shut down um so i I was looking for kind of virtual spaces to kind of connect you know how to better understand what was happening and also you know respond to the the crises of 2020 and you know as one of my former pastors uh reverend steph speller says the dual pandemics of racism and covid that were came so much to the fore that year um and uh, Mm. yeah so i think i I actually found you guys i think i've actually found homebrewed christianity first because i I was familiar with mm. some of those spaces through my emergent church uh, networks. Um, but I quickly realized just the, the tone of what you guys were doing. Um, I came into about, I guess, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, I really appreciated mm. the tone of that image of coming out of the basement. Um, you know, the sense of, you know, we want people to realize there's a bigger world out there and then we're just going to try to build spaces of healing together. I'm like, I would have been so grateful for that when I was, and in many ways, my church was that kind of space, but we had to build it up kind of from the ground up. You know, we had folks coming from the Catholic sex abuse scandals in Boston. We had recovering queer, mm. you know, Baptist kids. And we all kind of found ourselves in this Episcopal church, just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And, um, but Got it's, it. you know, but again, for, not everybody stayed in that space, but we were grateful for their presence and their witness. Um, and I think that the sense yeah. of Jesus is bigger than our, you know, than the pain and the institutions that have hurt us. Um, but there is still potential for those of us who feel called to it um, to kind of be yeah. more true to the gospel. Yeah. And I saw, I saw you guys doing that, which I'm grateful for. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you uh, for this end of your recap for sure. Uh, yeah. Noah, always good to see you, my friend. I, I <laughs> really too, am bummed. I got to be honest, Noah. I'm disappointed. It's not your fault okay, because we're in late stage <laughs> capitalism, so we got to make a living. But it's so tough for me to even have energy to record like in the evening because usually my like, even this recording, yeah. we're recording at 830 at night. I'm like so tired thinking about all the work I have to do tomorrow. It's so hard to record with you more consistently because you're working a day job now. But yeah. I must say, like, I really do miss our conversation that Me too, for a man. while we were having them so frequently you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah i miss it too i am i am on a unholy amount of caffeine right now to be <laughs> present for this i'm so glad to be doing it but i yeah right there with you buddy <laughs> so i was it's looking over here. i was looking over some of our our podcast numbers i figured you know this is end of year recap how did the podcast yeah. do and you know i mean i don't know numbers are a weird thing when you're like a 
I guess, post evangelical or you're someone who's freshly out of that basement because, you know, a lot of times like churches are all about their numbers, you know, oh, we had 40 trillion baptisms and, you know, 2 trillion people, you know, made a profession of faith and, you know, therefore God is blessing it. So, you know, I don't say these numbers as like, oh my God, look, God's blessing your work. I'm just sharing with the audience because I've, I always wonder how many pod, how many downloads do my favorite podcasts do? I'm just I'm always just curious, you know, yeah. like like the Bible Project, like how many pod they gotta be doing a lot. They're like top five, I think, for like religion and spirituality. But so I want to give our audience just maybe a couple episodes that kind of stood out this year. Our most downloaded episode of the year was episode number one seventy six, Understanding Israel and Palestine, Part One. Our second most downloaded was part three, and our third most downloaded was part two. So that wow. three-part series that we did in October really did well. Now, our overall top podcast download ever for all years is still episode number 87. It's called What the H, Matt Chandler, and that's with the bodies behind the bus. That has 40,000 downloads alone, just that one, which, to be fair, Trip Fuller brags that he gets about 50,000 downloads per episode, so I'm not even in, <laughs> in homebrew territory yet. But overall, for this year, we're at about, let's see, 158... Uh, okay, we're at about 700,000 downloads for the year, have about a lifetime amount of like 1.1 million, which honestly, I'm thrilled about, Noah, because let's face it, this podcast, you're a volunteer, I don't have a lot of time, we pretty much hit export, throw a nice intro on and hit share, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so to have that yeah. many downloads truly blows my mind, especially because you know I have an old podcast, so I'm not going to name, because people will go through it and dig it up. There's nothing bad on there, but it's like, it's just a podcast with me and three buddies, and it was very different. I was I was in a very different space in my life. And I remember like thinking, wow, 800 downloads. That's amazing, you know? And to do over a million on a podcast is just, it's mind-blowingly, shockingly crazy to me. So I think it's been a pretty good year for the podcast. What do you think so far? I mean, honestly, I'm just floored looking at the numbers. I, I checked them again the other day when I, when I was recording an intro for our, our Christmas special. And the... I think it's really honestly just a testament to the amazing guests that have been willing to come on the show, the experts over the past year, and these voices that are just so necessary. And uh, I was just so unaware of, you know, in my evangelical tradition that there are these voices and these these different paths in, in the Christian faith that I just wasn't exposed to. And I think that that's a lot of what it is when, and I'm sure, you know, Kieran, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but just the... The opportunities to, to hear these different perspectives, I think, is something that's so valuable. And I, I'm really glad that that's resonating with people. And also, if anyone wants to find Tim's previous podcast, it's called Pineapple and Pizza, by the oh way. Oh, my God, oh, Noah. Yeah, from How the old dare you? Days. How dare you? <laughs> Have you no tact? Have you no shame? So so here are here are the top 10 episodes that we have for the year. We have those, those three episodes on understanding Israel and Palestine. Episode uh, number four is Mark Driscoll bombs Charlie Kirk interview. That's where me and Trip Fuller responded to uh, a Mark Driscoll interview with Charlie Kirk that took two and a half hours. Number five is Surviving IHOP Part One. Number six is Surviving Hell Song, you know, Hill Song with Janice and Tiff. I love Janice and Tiff. Number seven was Andy Stanley Breaks the Internet. That's where I brought Zach Lambert on and we responded to the unconditional conference that we went to and people who were blowing that up. Number eight is responding to Mark Driscoll's Toxic Christianity. Number nine is Jesus versus Evangelicals by Dr. Constantine Campbell. And number 10 is Understanding Israel and Palestine Part 4. Here's what's interesting to me, okay? And I I, I honestly, Kieran, I'm going to rely on you, not that you speak for every single person who listens, but again, you kind of give the listener perspective. 
a lot of these episodes are not super guest driven. I mean, obviously, understanding Israel and Palestine is an anomaly here because of what was happening, but even that was tied to a current event. I'm noticing that like our top 10 episodes are more about current events or about responding to something that I found really problematic. There are not a lot of like the only interview that's a real interview is is Constantine, Dr. Constantine Campbell, which is his book, Jesus versus Evangelicals. So I, I and I've been wondering this for a while because we're going into a new year, you know, Noah, we're obviously trying to fund Project Amplify. It's a huge content evolution. I've been thinking so much about this, and I'm glad we can have this conversation with the audience because I'm just wondering, like, long-term content-wise, does is the audience okay? I'm I'm going to be really blunt, and Kieran, I would love like your thoughts here, but I'm just wondering if the audience is getting a little fatigued just hearing book interview after book, like, like, like author after author. Not that not that that's a bad thing. It's not. There's amazing guests, and they've been wonderful, and we've covered every topic. But like another year. I just don't know if like if like the same formula is gonna hit the same because I feel like a lot of us in this space found each other. We're like, oh my god, we're out of the basement for the first time. There's so much to explore. But like, I've interviewed. We're at like 204 episodes. I've interviewed like probably over 150 unique authors of books. I just don't know like how many more there are to do. And then seeing these numbers, I'm like, it sounds it looks like the audience wants more response content, more current, you know, current events. What's your thoughts on that, Kieran? I mean, you've been a listener of the podcast for a while. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm kind of almost seeing maybe some sort of parallels to kind of the Zoom fatigue a lot of my activist spaces had. You know, as hmm. as we've been kind of adjusting to this new reality, what are people seeking? You know, how do we kind of balance intellectual engagement and kind of community with actually? How do we respond to the things that are happening in the world? Um, and it does sound like right. some of the episodes that hit the most this year are some major changes, you know, either the bad and the good. You know, I, I know several of these things are major documentaries that are coming out about some of these problematic spaces, um, major voices coming out from those communities that are actually able to speak publicly about their healing and their journeys. Um, and it's great that the community, your podcast has been able to sort of support that. Um, but I'm also kind of encouraged to sort of see the sense in which now, I was I really loved the episodes, Tim, where you went to the uh, you went to that America Fest. I was a little scared for you. We were all afraid for you. Uh, <laughs> but but to kind of see that, you know, to see to what does it actually mean to be on the ground, you know, watching these things happen and actually trying to have real conversations with people. And I apologize, I'm forgetting the name, but I was intrigued by the interview you had with a pastor who said very different things in person. And then when you got to the uh, you know Oh uh, uh, yeah. Russell Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. that was a fast oh, yeah. there were some prob- you know problematic things going on, but it was interesting to kind of see for that sure. sense of what does it mean to actually be present um and both building healthy healing communities for ourselves but actually to the degree we can actually trying to engage these spaces you know with mindfulness of our safety um you know as an activist i'm very cautious about how we engage ourselves but yeah i think uh the other thing too that i'm seeing is just sort of the sense of um it's hard i mean i think the whole country is in a political fatigue with everything too and that's the challenge you know the intersection of faith and politics is so important right now but how do we engage in ways that are actually more than what you get just sort of kind of from the the constant, you know, media sort of bubbles, you know, whichever side, uh, how do we actually break through to deeper conversations and deeper um, transformative experiences? Um, so I appreciate, you know, some of the ways you guys have been able to do that and actually try to create, you know, conversations that might not happen someplace else. As far yeah. as interviews went, I, I did really enjoy, uh, you know, Dr. Constantine's work. I, I also really loved the work with Billy Horde and uh, her brother. I apologize for forgetting their names. Um, oh, uh, is it Paul? Paul Horde? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure, but Billy. yeah, she's great. Yeah. And the insight that that brought, you know, so to the sense that authors can actually speak to a present moment and that there can kind of be a balance. I think that that was seeing how that happened in the podcast was really powerful for me. 
I think that is, and Noah, again, I would love your thoughts here in a minute too. I think that is the key because, listen, guys, right now I have one, two, three, four, five. I have a stack of six books that I have to at some point read just to read. I have two more that, I mean, I got two more that came in today. Like it is so hard to keep up. And I'm wondering if this space is getting a little book fatigued, you know, okay, another book to read. I can't keep up as opposed to working with people and having them come on when it comes to current and cultural issues, right? Like when Billy Horde came on to respond to Frank Turek's uh, mm, video yeah. and her and I are working for an, on another one on YouTube, right? And I'm just wondering like, Noah, what you think about this, because the downside is that it's actually very easy for, for me to do an author interview. I mean, I don't have to read the book. I just show up and ask them a lot of questions and we unpack who they are, what the book's about. And we have a great conversation. But at the same time, like I think the audience wants more, okay, how do I interpret this cultural moment? How do I interpret this piece of news through like this Jesus-centered inclusive lens? Because my only framework is this secular progressive left or like this Christian nationalist Christianity. Mm. And I'm like, well, what if we could find other people that we've already interviewed and others who can yeah. come on when like something crazy happens yeah. and goes, okay, let's talk about this from this lens because you're an expert in this field. What are your thoughts on that? No, I'm kind of curious because you're the producer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there is, I think there's so much value in what we have done with the author interviews for a couple reasons. One of them being just exposing people to the, the, the authors, the kind of books that they can consume as, as, as options that are diverting from some of the evangelical, uh, traditions and norms that we've been exposed to. Yeah. Um, and, and also just hearing people's stories of so many of those folks that are coming out of these spaces and how they arrived in the place that they are today is something that I've really resonated with being able to hear those stories, feel like I'm not alone. Um, but, but in addition to that, I mean, I completely agree. I think that the issues that speak into the current moment are so important. And also it allows the authors to bring out a side of themselves and the scholars that they don't necessarily always get the opportunity to do one in the interview about their book. You know, that's, that's kind of exposing their expertise in all these different areas that they've developed a lot of thoughts on. And maybe they just haven't written content on those topics. Yeah. And so I love the idea of kind of seeing a bit of an evolution in the podcast over the next year towards bringing on these scholars to respond to other pieces of content. And, you know, those have been some of my favorite episodes this year as well. Right. Do that. Right. Because it's so eye opening and it's refreshing to be able to hear uh, someone very intelligently respond to these uh, thought points, you know, that we're all exposed to day to day, whether we want to be or not. So, so Andrew Whitehead, he's a, a scholar of Christian nationalism. He's he's great. He's become a friend personally, but also he's, he's been on the show a bunch of times. We did a response to a video on YouTube, and he loved it, but he had to go. Like he 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 couldn't stay for super long. And he texts me, and he's like, "Hey, what if we did like a once a month like segment where yeah. where, where we pulled some of these clips and we responded to them?" And I'm like, "Oh." That's actually a great idea because now we have some kind of consistent, you know, guest of the show that comes on once a month to kind of respond to some of these claims. And again, gives the audience some kind of framework through the lens of an actual scholar. Because I think one of the biggest strengths of being in the spaces that we occupy is that we are around such brilliant, credible people who like are so professionally trained and they do this for a living. Yeah. Right? So we're not just grabbing Joe Smo off, off the street who's just saying random shit on TikTok and we're like, oh, you sound good. You must be true. Like we're grabbing people who are like, no, this is what I do for a living. I study this stuff. So I think that we that 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 the credibility is there, right? But pairing them with like cultural issues and saying, okay, 
let's get you out of your own ivory tower, so to speak. Let's get you out <laughs> of the academic bubble and let's have you respond to boots on the ground because let's face it, I think a lot of the audience, and I, I say this as someone who's in this way in the audience, I want to know the response. Yeah. There's sometimes where I'm like, I know this is twisted, but I don't know the best way to approach this. Mm-hmm. But then having someone like Trip or having someone like Andrew respond to it with me, I think gives a wider perspective on why that thing is so problematic and then a better way to view it as a, a more inclusive Christian. If I could uh, just chime in briefly. Um, Please, yeah. I, I think somewhat I'm hearing this really is a sense of, you know, and this is a challenge, I think, in more so-called liberal churches. I don't really like that term for a number of reasons. Um, but like we have all these <laughs> yeah. intellectual resources. We've got all this critical historical stuff that maybe some folks in more evangelical spaces didn't grow up with. But how do we how do we apply that also to lived reality and lived experiences? So the sense of praxis. Right. How do we actually take, you know, yeah. You've spent so much time exposing people to resources they might not even known about, but then how do you actually use those resources on the ground? What what are models for lived theology? You know, um, and I, I think also yes. in the sense of, you know, especially if folks are recovering from the basement metaphor you guys use, um, how do you actually? what are role models? What are actually stories and voices that can help us think about how to live a healthy life in this house um, and build community in this house? You know, we're not just you know, our eyes have adjusted, but we still don't know quite how to turn the television on or work the fridge. Um, right. Yeah. And, right. And one thing I'm very grateful to, but I, you have some incredible top voices and, and expertise on things. Um, and, and I think in some sense, I see some parallels. I know you guys had some folks come on from Straight White American Jesus, and they've done some great work as well, speaking into some very, especially issues around uh, January 6th and some of the specific um, mm-hmm. dominionist spaces that kind of come out of that. Um, they've had, and they had a few experts who have come back in a recurring way on certain issues. So I think that could be a great model. Um, but I also think it's important to kind of also re- maybe perhaps reach out to non-experts, but who are actively doing the work and recovering from these spaces. Um, I mean, I, I know for me, in many ways, part of my Catholic and Methodist experience was struggling with the way both of these churches responded to the LGBTQ community as an ally, um, but someone who deeply cares about people and saw how the, the pain this theology was doing. I actually became Episcopalian when the Catholic Church was in the process of blaming gay people for the pedophile scandal. <laughs> um, mm. So this, these are very raw, oh, real issues. Um, and even though I'm not you know, practicing in Roman spaces these days, I also do still see, um, you know, just on Twitter and my other spaces, how you know, LGBT Catholics are responding to the recent news, the Catholic church on um, that. There's mm-hmm. sort of a blessing yeah. there, but it's not a full blessing. And, you know, so how, how do we talk to people yes, who have yes, yes. left that space, but also who are still in that space, but trying to be faithful. Um, and how do we kind of help those who are doing work on both those sides? Maybe people who've stayed in the basement, but want to be in dialogue with us and where they see Jesus working. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to get that grassroots perspective. Um, because, you know, for me during my deconstruction experience, that was so important. I had people coming out of these things, just hearing stories, like you said, um, and, and having that safe to know that you're not alone and to know that, you know, here's some models of how you can make your way through the house. Um, it's not, so your journey, but you're not, you're not alone. And there's some possible community here that could, could grow. Yeah. This is just a, a bit of brainstorming because we do have, you know, the three of us in this space, but an idea that I've been kind of tossing around for a while, and this is a bit different call maybe to organize necessarily, but I think it's something that could be done in, in the long-term goals of Project Amplify and that sort of thing is to be able to hear multiple experts in different disciplines address an idea simultaneously. Yeah. Um, like for example, uh, you know, pulling up a, a piece of content made by Turning Point or something like that. And having someone in the room that is a historian that could tell you sort of where the ideas came from, and then a theologian that can tell you some maybe better ways of framing that from a, uh, a textual or tradition lens. 
Uh, and sort of having that as sort of like a roundtable discussion where you have experts in different disciplines that all kind of paint a bigger picture of how to address uh, some of the the talking points, some of the ideas that are floating around in these spaces. I'm kind of curious yeah. how that hits you both. Obviously, difficult to coordinate, but could be incredibly educational and, and useful as a listener. Bro, I got such huge like visions of grandeur for this podcast. Like, I just see like the potential of what could be. First off, I am such a fan of in person podcasts. Like, have you ever watched the Unbelievable podcast? Yeah. They just did one with it was Ben Shapiro versus Alex oh, O'Connor. Wow. I'm like, this is the setup. Like, I love the in person look. I love how it's shot. The set is beautiful. It's super engaging. And I'm like, dang, like that for me is the dream. Like, I would love to have Dr. Angela Parker and Pete Hens and Bradley Odishi yes. on a round table, yeah. you know, talking about like this clip, right? And so it's like the hardest part for me, if I'm just speaking candidly, is like, I know what we could do. I know that we have a lot of the hard parts figured out. We're well-networked. We have the respect of, of, of amazing people. Uh, we have a great listener base. The funding, of course, is the million-dollar problem, right? Like literally, it's a million-dollar problem. And I, and one of my goals for 2024 is I do want to develop the podcast more because, A, ad revenue can be a serious source of sustaining some of that work. I mean, we... We're switching over to uh, a different podcast network. You know, no, uh, we, well, we haven't announced this yet, but we're leaving Choircast. They've been great. We're leaving Patheos. They've been great. But we just figured with this Project Amplify thing, it's better to be off on our own and kind of find our own sources of ad revenue. And so, you know, we're hoping that if the podcast keeps growing, we can we can generate literally several thousand dollars a month in podcast revenue. If you're doing that, right, you're able to actually pay someone like Noah to really produce the content. You're able to take some time to be a little more thoughtful in how you approach content. You're able to post more per week, right? So maybe it's not it's not one time for an hour. Maybe it's one hour show on Monday, a half hour on Wednesday, and one on Friday where you have show prep and you're kind of thinking through the issues and you have your guests line up. So there's like just so much potential I see, especially going into election year, to let the organization kind of become this thing that really no other place is, is, feed, uh, is filling, which is this very much in tune to the political cultural landscape, but coming at it from the more progressive Jesus centered lens, but, but knows how to work social media <laughs> and knows how to work like technology. And I don't mean that as a slight on anyone because no. there are amazing organizations who do amazing activist work and who, you know, do great stuff. But, and Noah, I've told you this, I'm sure Kieran, you've heard me say this before you've listened to anything that, that we talk about, but before we developed Project Amplify, this huge evolution of our content strategy, I did the research. Like I talked to some serious OG progressive Christian organizations and one of them, no shade to them because they, again, like they, they've been around for a long time, but they literally told me they're focused on print magazine. And I was like, okay, like that's cool, bro. But you're, you're missing it. If you think that like, it's not social media, yeah. that's not podcast, that's not YouTube. So I definitely, I'm sure you do too. Noah. I, I see the idea of what this could become as we really start getting a little more intentional with how we do the content long term i want a studio space and i want to have people in person and i want to have the both and the audio via podcast and of course the youtube as well i just think it's such a better vibe overall and the in person such a better conversation i mean noah you and i when, when you travel to my house for beer camp before we leave yeah. we always podcast yeah. it is such a fun podcast so to do great. it in person mm -hmm. it just feels so much more natural and it flows better there's no audio issues or echoing issues it's just candid mm -hmm. i love that and Absolutely. that breaking bread, you know, or sharing beer, you know, that's so critical, you know, that idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I could briefly yeah. kind of yeah. chime. Yeah, go. 
Yeah, I, th I think it's, yeah, I mean, the, the interdisciplinary is great. I mean, uh, what I've seen both during my earlier period of deconstruction, talking to people from different backgrounds, as well as I appreciate how much, um, you know, you and others share that, you know, this, this isn't uh, the only Christian way, to, the only way to uh, read the Bible. It's a particular tradition's perspective on how to read the Bible. And just actually having those resources and those people in the same room who can share that from so many different angles is great. Um, I think, I, and some of what I'm hearing from you, Tim, too, is kind of the struggle of how to, and, you know, someone who works in ma mainline Protestant and Anglican spaces, too, you know, this is a reality. Many of our more progressive churches are aging in many ways, and we're facing challenges mm. both institutionally, but also, you know, and, but I, and I think, but I think there is also a sense even in these spaces that have been a little bit more, and I, 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 words are hard. I like progressive a little bit better. Um, but uh, these spaces that I feel are more, yeah, more yeah. liberative uh, or true to the gospel, as I understand it, um, is, uh, you know, many of us have come from more difficult and traumatic spaces as well. The Episcopal Church is also a church of converts in many ways. Um, and there's a fear of evangelism. Mm -hmm. We found something beautiful. We'd like to share it, but we don't want to be out there you know, beating people over the head with just another formula. Um, and but, but for me and, and my, the churches I worked with, um, you know, during my deconstruction period, I was, I went to my first pride March when I was in Boston and just to see the, see the look on people's faces when Christians, you know, in full liturgical vestments, and we were just hanging out there, you know, <laughs> with signs saying God is love. And, um, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a fake thing. These were some of the most faithful people I know. Now, I was in Omaha for a tiny little pride march and our bishop came out with his dog and with his kids and it was the Episcopalians, it was the Methodists, we had some Unitarians there, you know, props to them, wow. a few other spaces and there's one little angry hate preacher and then all these wonderful churches just out there and it was such a beautiful space to actually realize that there is that potential for Christianity to actually, you know, look like Jesus on the ground as well as, you know, <laughs> on the internet in these places. But how do we actually get that? How do we connect these, this knowledge, this experience, the multimedia savvy that you have in many of these better offended mega churches with the churches that are actually spreading a message that's so needed. Um, that's hard. Yeah. Um, mm. but I appreciate your, well, your thinking so deeply on that, Tim. Trying, you know, yeah. coming out of, coming out of beer camp, just being, you know, a few months ago. And I'm, that's mm. what you described there is, is exactly the feeling I have of like, Oh, when we actually do this in person and all these people in the room, it feels so real. It feels so tangible. And, and having those people speak into it, like, there, there are so many people there that were that were guest speakers that I was just if I had all the time in the world I'd produce podcasts for them all right it was so hard for me not to go around I'm like please right. let me help you start a podcast because like people just need this you know and I don't think mm. the burden should be on the scholars and the experts who have dedicated their lives to this that are you know probably employed somewhere at a seminary or an institution teaching these things to be able to build these platforms for themselves or develop the yeah. tools to do so you know social social media is a full time job in these spaces and when you think yeah. about someone like uh, you know, the, the daily wire or something that puts out, what is it? 150 pieces of content a day by chopping up. No, it's 250 200, pieces of Jesus. content a day. Okay. You know, that, you know, that comes from a whole team of people that are, that spend their whole day just chopping up interviews and releasing pieces of content. And the, yeah. the amount of momentum that's built, the financial backing behind those things is huge. And that's why they're, they're so prevalent in, you know, our, our social media feeds for better or for worse, for worse, in my opinion. But, mm. <laughs> It's why you know it's it's so important to be able to to build these these spaces where this is actually possible to get the idea out. And like you said, Kieran, it, you know, I think that that hesitancy is so healthy and good coming out of those mm. spaces. To like, yeah. we don't want to build that kind of supremacy complex where we've figured mm -hmm. out the answer and we just need to tell you what to believe again, because that's mm. where so much of the harm has been has been caused in, in mm. the first place. 
Um, yeah. But I'm so excited by the possibility of people just being exposed to these these ideas and these experts and these more beautiful expressions of the gospel yeah. and just saying like, this is a real tangible option for you and something that we can do in our local communities. Hello, my name is Sharon Roggio. I am the director of 1946 The Movie. We know that there is harmful rhetoric that seeps into our culture that sometimes comes from our church buildings. We know the impact of fundamentalist theology that is designed to uplift certain groups and marginalize others. We also recognize that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with with care and empathy, as oftentimes it is our loved ones who uphold these beliefs. And that is why I support Project Amplify. Never in our lives have we been more inundated with misinformation and disinformation, but Project Amplify provides good information and a middle ground to give us some hope around a lot of this misguided information and beliefs. If you'd like to help Project Amplify, please consider a donation today and you can find out more. Click in the link below. Thank you. In many ways, this is very much an evangelical tactic. Right. Like I haven't really lost the evangelicalness (laughs) in the sense of like staying modern and cutting edge and trying to be relevant and trying to take other models and kind of like using them. Right. Because I think all the time I'm like Turning Point's model is brilliant. Yeah. The Daily Wire's model is brilliant. They have like these four or five like major personalities who do millions of views. They're signed to contracts and they pump out content all day like that. That's a great strategy and it works, you know. And so I think I and maybe, you know, maybe I'm I'm I'm. Um, too bright-eyed and, and bushy-tailed here, but I'm looking. And I'm like, guys, there's no reason why we can't use like social media and cutting edge wherever people are, and and use that as the vehicle to disseminate like really healthy. And I'm with you, Kieran. I'm not a big fan of the word progressive or even liberal. I think there's a it's loaded. You can find fundamentalism in those spaces still. That's why we don't use those terms like anywhere on, on our content. Like you're not going to see the new evangelicals a progressive Christian movement. Like it's just not <laughs> language that I like to use. But if you're looking at the conservative progressive, you know, dichotomy, sure. Um, and so it's like there's there's no reason why we can't use these channels to disseminate like better progressive Christian ethics that we think are more rooted in a faithful gospel approach, like you said, as we understand it. And it just gets me so motivated to figure out that Rubik's cube of the funding, because I know that the messaging is like a culture so thirsty for it. I know that we have the people and I know that we have the team who knows how to utilize these spaces. And then I think about the 2024 election coming up and how Christian nationalism even though it's not statistically growing, it's only gaining more power. It's only consolidating more power. It's only becoming more vitriolic. It's only getting closer to another big, you know, violent explosion. And so I look at this and I'm like, literally, I believe that, and I, I man, I tell the audience this so often, but I really mean it. I'm not trying to sound hyperbolic when I say this. I really try to have the sources and receipts. I truly believe that democracy is like almost on the line this election cycle. You know, like we saw what happened January 6th. We saw the damage that one man did in four years in the Oval Office. We see the rhetoric he's using now calling immigrants poison to the country. I mean, like there's so much writing on the wall. 
And it's so clear to me that like, as Christians, especially me, and really you know it too, who used to be in that world helping to make the sausage, even inadvertently, I just feel such a sense of obligation, especially considering that so much of the mainstream media, so to speak, and like secular progressive media Mm – does not understand the faith element. I went. I went to America Fest. Um, that that video should drop today on this nice. Friday when we're going to drop the episode on YouTube. But at Turning Point, I met Tim from the Bulwark. Tim uh, is is um, used to be a conservative, like you know, guy. And Trump kind of woke him up, and he's part of like this news site called the Bulwark. That's kind of like neoconservatives. You know, maybe they're more pro life, but they're still very much affirming and inclusive. And Trump is bad, etc. And I spent time hanging out with him. We had a great time, and I told him, "I'm like Tim. You obviously, you obviously know the political world really well." like how I know the faith world. And unless we're going to, unless we're, we're working together and you're learning what drives the, the religious side that, that drives this, you're never going to have the full picture. You know, you're going to try yeah. and keep going after the politics without realizing for so many, what the root of this actually is. So that's a long way of saying, I just, I see the need that we can fill and the content that we can push. And so I'm just motivated like hell to really develop the podcast for 2024 to be more consistent, to have more types of content out there, to hopefully gain a wider listenership, frankly. One, th- one thing that drew me to the Episcopal tradition in the Anglican world is the sense of, you know, incarnation is so important to our theology. Um, and as I was struggling deeply with issues of, and I want to acknowledge again, you know, we're, we're three, I, I assume we all identify as more or less white guys. <laughs> so that's a challenge. And, and that's been a challenge in the evangelical <laughs> movement too. Um, so how do we also be conscious of, yep. you know, that issue? And and this is something working with communities that were so affected during the last Trump years. You know, I work with a tribe who was directly, you know, challenged by him in some ways, you know, because he had casinos in New Jersey mm. and went after local Native American groups. Um, so I, it's a sense of, you know, mm. even at our place of privilege, how do we engage these issues while also asking how are the folks most experienced in this, you know, going to Facebook this coming year and the time that's coming. Um, it's so important to be conscious of that um, and not lose sight of that. Um, and my, my question though, that really I, yeah. haunted me. Oh, sorry. Did you want? Yeah. My, my question has always been, no, and this is, I was wrestling with, as I was, I did my thesis on native American boarding schools, which is a whole very painful and traumatic experience. Wow. Of, you know, the, 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 the mm. even our more progressive quote unquote churches today were involved in this process to turn native Americans into good mm. Christians by killing the native, the Indian in them is the phrase, mm. kill the Indian, save the man. Um, which in many ways is a shorthand for kind of that even joke idea. We've got to save your souls by any means necessary. It doesn't matter what happens to your body or your culture. Yeah. Or your, um, and, uh, and I struggled. I'm like, I'm not sure I can be Christian knowing that history, but also where would Jesus want to be in this moment? Um, and that was where I fall. Like, I, right. I don't, I don't, I don't care whether I'm in a church at that point in my life. I was like, I'm not sure if I want, I want to be in a church, but I know I need to follow Jesus. And I need to do that, listening in that compassion because I can, I connect with Jesus as the presence of God's love in a way that, you know, I, I don't think I could be engaged in these difficult issues if I don't have that anchor. Um, so I'm trying to follow that, mm. try to follow that presence. Um, so how do we, hold on to that presence while using these tools of the world without losing touch. And it's complicated, you know, you know, past traditions, some traditions have been afraid of arts and media and resources um, and others have engaged it, but it's walking that fine line. That's the best part about not being a church or a church network. We're just a nonprofit organization, baby. Yeah. (laughs) But I do agree. I mean, there, I definitely, I've been very challenged uh, this past year to, I really want to get, 
a more of an uh, indigenous voice on the podcast. I think that we're yeah. missing out on a huge swatch of just spirituality, let alone Christian spirituality. I mean, I've interviewed Mark Charles, amazing, of course, but there's a deeper world there. Uh, and that, again, like it's one of those things where it's like, man, as one person, it's just so hard to capture all these different types of groups and people that I want to get on, you know, on the podcast and do deep dives with. But mm. I think in indigenous spirituality and just understanding the, that perspective is just very important as we try and navigate decolonization, understanding a broader term. Because I'll tell you, and I'm sure you can speak to this, Kieran, more than I could, but I'm learning that like white Protestant liberals can also be problematic. Oh, yeah. You know, like yes. like the answer is not just, oh, conservative bad, so liberalism is automatically good. Like it has its yeah. own share of issues, you know? Yeah. And, and also I find that getting out of that left-right divide really gets you into a more liberative kind of mindset and you think about things a little bit differently. And so anyway, I'm just kind of ranting, yeah. but that's definitely, you know, no. um, I think for 2024, uh, a focus of mine at some point as yeah. well. I and mean, I think even with the, with ideals, we might find better in many ways. We can still bring our privilege, bring our Messiah complexes to communities that we need to listen yeah. and let them guide us. And, and that's a lot of the work that I did when I was on the Lakota community. We were part of a house actually living in a former boarding school, one of the buildings that was kind of restored a multiracial house of native and non-native um, people from a few different church traditions living together. And we were trying to be a long-term presence to kind of guide mission groups that were coming in to say, you know, here's how you build a relationship first, get to know a community. And then perhaps they'll tell you how they want you to help rather than coming in with all the answers. And, um, you know, and, and there's the story we always told that, uh, when one mission group wanted to install toilets at a place, they didn't check if there was even plumbing on that part of the reservation. Um, but, uh, in the Lakota mm. culture, it's considered you always receive a gift graciously and compassionately, you know, even if the person might be a little confused. Um, so they, they actually turned the toilets into flower pots and they made them beautiful. <laughs> but, the, uh, but the next year, the church group came back and they saw their toilets just sitting up front with beautiful art. Oh, you know, wow. So they wanted to honor the gift, but they had to gently teach. They don't want to shame the people. And that's very important for this particular indigenous culture. Um, but they taught them gently with a little humor. <laughs> uh, yes. So but I think that, that's so important that, you know, our churches don't replicate the mistakes of the past that we actually have the voices and the presences of, you know, whether it's different genders yeah. and sexualities, whether it's different races and backgrounds, male and female. And yeah. it's so important to have those places there to kind of have those lived experiences. You know, Jesus's body is all of us. You know, we, we can't, yeah. uh, we Amen. can't actually follow Jesus if we're not listening to the, the whole presence. I think that's great. We're actually, um, I know we have Hope. She's a, a board member. She manages a lot of our community stuff. She is planning out the next, like, I think eight or nine Theology 101s. And it's a pretty diverse cast of theologians coming in, talking about all kinds of things. And uh, so I think that'll be great for the audience to hop on. That's totally free, by the way, audience. You just go oh, to yeah. our website, thenewevangelicals.com, make a free account, and you're signed up for uh, Theology 101 Zoom, which is, which is really awesome. That's been something I want to engage in. So thank you, Tim. No, for sure. It's really worth it. Um, no, I'm kind of curious for you. Like, any other highlights for this year, for 2023? We, we did beer camp, but anything else? Oh, boy. Uh, I th- Honestly, I think beer camp was the biggest highlight for me, to be honest. And really, that was because it was it was in person. And that's something that is so valuable <sighs> yeah. to me and, and so few and far between when it comes to these conversations. Hmm. And so I think more than anything else, uh, being there in that space and having the conversations that we were able to have and, and the relationships that have developed over the past few years, that has has given me more hope and more drive and passion for whatever comes next than, than anything else. And it makes me really excited for whatever those in-person meetups can look like in the future as we continue to be better funded and, and have greater access to you know more more scholars and, and 
experts in these fields to continue to do in-person events like that in the future. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. I think, how about any, any podcast highlights for you? I mean, you've, you've mixed a lot of the podcast episodes. You listen to all of them. Yeah. Any guests stick out to you? Oh man. Honestly, a lot of them are some of the more recent ones that have come out, but I'm at, I'm at a, a point in my own deconstruction process where the work of decolonizing my theology and my, my history has become so incredibly important to me. And I realized that I have barely even begun to scratch the surface of what that actually looks like in practice. But hearing some of the voices on the podcast recently, like Ali Henry and Jesse Curtis and Gabriel Gordon, um, just a few off the top of my head, but, but these episodes where, where that specifically is being addressed has been so, so incredibly valuable to me. And it's given me so much to think about and and to research, honestly, because it's it's kind of put me on a history kick to kind of learn, like, where did these ideas come from as a, as a way of combating uh, some of the bad ideas that have slipped into our theology through white mm. supremacy. 100%. How about you, Kieran? Anyone stick out to you? Yeah. Um, and it's, I think probably the some of the most intense emotional, the episode where you had, um, I believe, was it, um, was it, uh, Apologize for remembering. Was it Yusef, the uh, the Palestinian theologians? I actually listened to both of them. Um, oh, Yusef. Yes, yeah. and I know the second one you brought in uh, his friend as well. Um, that was a uh, incredibly moving. And Daniel. Yeah, and just hearing the sense of, you know, what it is to actually to be a Christian who still tries to follow the peacemaking way of Christ, and you know, one of the most hmm. incredibly painful conflicts in the world. Um, you know, I see this too in the sense of you know working in spaces where tribes are trying to go through their own historical trauma and figure out how to reclaim their values, but also work through their pain without, you know, repeating the cycle, mm. you know, that towards what was done to them. Um, and I think it, uh, it was so transformative to have some other voices and I, I appreciate, I haven't been able to hear the episode yet, but I understand you brought in a Jewish voice as well. Um, and how do we really listen deeply to these people who are so close to these things? Um, it's, yeah, she represented, um, um, women wage peace. Mm. Um, I forgot her name, but, it was very powerful. You know, that the Israel-Palestinian or Palestine conflict, whatever you want to call it, man, it's just been like, I can't get out of my head, dude. I just cannot get out of my head. Um, you know, I'm seeing just all these videos. I'm reading all these articles. I'm just like, wow, this is just, it's just, it's one of those weird moments for me where I'm like, you know, I understand why people pray. Because sometimes you feel so desperate. You're just like, I will do whatever I can do to, to, to make this thing go away. You know? And it's like, listen, I, as an evangelical, I've prayed many times. I still do pray. But you know, as you kind of deconstruct, you kind of lose that like supernatural, well, God will make a way when there's no way kind of vibe. But then you see things like this and you're like, what else can I do? Like I literally can do nothing besides seeing, all I can do is see these images. They're heartbreaking. They're, they're images of hell on earth, right? Whether it's the, the attack by Hamas uh, in Israel or it's the bombings, uh, of the Israeli um, government, you know, killing children. And you're like, um, oh my gosh, what can I do? But I'm so desperate, like I have to do something. And I almost feel like sometimes praying is is a way of self-soothing in a sense, just to try to get the feeling of I'm trying to do something, even though I have absolutely no power to do it. And so, you know, having that three-part series, really four-part, and then bringing on Daniel and, and Yusuf again has just forever shifted even my own ethics when it comes to people that I don't like, you know, because here's Daniel and Yusuf. Yusuf grew up in Gaza. Daniel grew up, I believe, in Bethlehem. Um, they both have families and friends who have died recently. 
And their response is, but nonviolence is still the answer, like nonviolent resistance. So I'm like, you know, there are white evangelical Christians who get violent over like what Target is selling in their stores. You know, there are people who get angry over the wrong Starbucks cup. And I'm like, 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 wow, like those moments really bring you back down to reality of just how far adrift even your own spirituality and Christian Christianity is. Um, and it just is incredibly provocative, you know, for I think especially someone like myself or people who grew up in this space when you're like, we are just so far. Um, we've drifted so far from these ethics that that I'm listening from people like, you know, Daniel and Yusuf who have every right, you know, to want to wage violence back. I would even say it's, you know, sometimes it's justified, right? Like I, I get why it's happening. And their response is like, no, like that isn't the answer. And it's like, wow, that's just, it's freaking powerful. Now I, I know people who were present at Standing Rock, um, you know, who went up the day after the police came down with this incredibly brutal, uh, marched down the highway. They basically destroyed a camp, pulled people out of sweat lodges half naked. Um, they arrested elders who were praying on their knees with pipes, and, you know, forcibly shoved them to the ground. Wow. Um, and wow. some indigenous leaders said, we're going to go up to the police station now and pray for them. Um, and it was one of the most power- incredible moments to sort of see. And it was indigenous and people of all faiths who are allies going up there together and say, we have to, we have to do this because we mm. can't move forward if we don't keep our anchor. Um, and again, I, it's never my place to tell somebody who's experienced that this is what you need to do now. But um, when I was here and you shared the witness of, you know, Yusuf, uh, Daniel and Yusuf and the others, the sense of what does it mean to be a witness or martyr is the word in Greek that, you know, we, we translate as, um, it means witness. I and mean, we associate it with certain, you know, someone's going to shoot you in the head if you don't say you believe in God, you know, there's a, a classic, you know, evangelical sort of American sense of I'm going to be a martyr in this way, but what does it actually mean to bear witness to this part of your faith that is the most challenging in this moment? Um, and it may not be what we expect. Um, that image of how to be a martyr for peace, mm. how to be a martyr for nonviolence when, you know, and it's, and it's incredible. I think we need to learn from those spaces. I'm, I still struggle with how to, how would I respond if I was in that moment? And uh, it's uh, no, yeah, hundred percent. But it, it shows us part of what 100%. it is to be Jesus in our time. And I am grateful for these people who've, yeah. who are willing to teach us, you know, in our place of privilege, but also a place that is, in many complicated ways, very enmeshed in this, you know, this conflict. Yeah, you know, Daniel and I became we. I've had Daniel on actually. I had him on two years ago on Instagram live when there was another situation that happened between Gaza and Israel. That was the first time I ever met him. And we went live on, on Instagram. And then when the attack happened on October uh, 7th, uh, he reached out like, Hey, you know, do you want, you want to have another conversation? I said, yeah, great. First off, great to hear from you. Second of all, let's have a conversation. Let's get you on the podcast. And then we kind of hit it off again. We kept in touch and I had him on again. And, you know, he said something and he, and he didn't, he didn't even mean it as like a slight towards me, he was just making an observation, but it totally gutted me. And it was another, again, just another wake up call of like how even I, you know, can do things that are still just very unintentionally, you know, maybe unwise or unhealthy. He was like, he was like, Hey Tim, great to see you. It's a shame that the only time we come on is whenever yeah. something's happening in Palestine, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and like, again, he didn't mean it like, how dare you? You know, <laughs> it was more of just an observation. I was like, right. Like technically, and he makes the point in the episode his expertise and Yusuf's expertise isn't even in the topic I had them on for. You know, I just had them on because they are Palestinian Christians who have a very strong ethic of nonviolence and know a lot about the region because that's where they grew up. But he's like, my expertise is like religion and like the Quran. And Yusuf is like, yeah, I'm studying. And he labeled something that's like, you know, very specific. And I'm like, right. Why do I only think about, right? Like, like either 
maybe like, like, like Middle Eastern folks or like people like that whenever there's a conflict over there, but not when I needed someone to talk about like some other biblical topic. Like somehow in my yeah. head, they still live in the, oh, there's a problem in this region. I'll bring them on. Mm-hmm. Not in the, oh, let's talk about biblical inerrancy and why I think it's garbage. Yeah. Okay, let's bring them on, right? Like yeah. I think about someone like Pete Enns. And by the way, Pete's great. And I'm sure Pete would agree with me. He's happy to come on, but he would also probably agree like, yeah, it might be good to get even kind of beyond the liberal progressive space when you're bringing in some of these voices on different topics. And what I'm hearing is kind of that sense of in many ways, we are still a very segregated country and here in America in our church spaces, um, mm. you know, and, and, yes. and obviously internationally that brings a whole other dimension. But um, what are the ways that we, you know, as someone involved in both Standing Rock and, you know, to some degree, the George Floyd protests, I don't want to claim to be, you know, a leader in any way, but, you know, just honored to be present. And um, a lot, both of these communities had all these white activists suddenly show up and say, we want to help. But one of the things that I heard over and over again from both indigenous and uh, black and other people of color spaces is, thank you for showing up. Um, but we need to see whether you're going to stick around for the long term. Are you just here for this present moment? Or do you actually want to build a relationship with us and be involved in our community's yeah. lives? And, you know, build a, a bridge that's more than just a, you know, a one moment kind of crisis response. Um, and that's, and I think that builds the resiliency we need to actually create spaces for lasting reconciliation and lasting understanding. <laughs> there was a, um, I can't remember. I, I believe it might've been uh, uh, Grace Jisun Kim on Josh Patterson's podcast mm-hmm. said this. I'm not, I'm not positive, but I, I believe it was her that said that we really need to take the, you know what Paul calls the the cloud of witnesses very seriously and that we're we're looking outside of our own boxes when we're asking these questions and instead of just going to the people that that are already you know within our communities and, and look like us and tend to have had a lot of the same experiences and think like us and really if we're looking to truly decolonize our theology and, and think outside of some of the boxes that we've been given we have to be actively pursuing listening to those people that are outside of those spaces and, act, and actively seeking that out instead of stumbling into it from time to time. And something I'm still yeah. very much learning to do, but I thought that, that that metaphor and, you know, obviously, you know, someone that spent a lot of time reading the Bible growing up that like, Oh, right in the heart, you know, <laughs> but I think it's a, a really beautiful way. It's a, a really it. beautiful way of thinking about it and something that's very important. Yeah. And it also takes the question of the eternal work, you know, what do you do when you're apart from these other communities to work through, your biases and work through your challenges. And, and in some of the spaces, both the Sandy Rock and the George Floyd protests, there were, there were spaces where white allies were asked, can you help orient people to help them do that work so that they can be more resource to us? So, mm-hmm. so there's this questions, there's work that needs to be done in both communities and the work that comes together. Um, and it's a complicated, you know, task, but you know, it takes humility and, uh, you know, being able to work through your mistakes, but also, also show up when you need to. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I'm thinking about the end of year. It's our last, really, our last episode. I think no, actually, Greg, Greg, because the first yeah. is that it's the first of Monday. Oh, I, uh, I don't even know what day of the week it is yeah, right now, yeah, man. First of Monday. So, <laughs> you know, what, what, the episode that comes out on Monday will be the first episode of 2024. Wow. So this is really our last episode in in 2023. I'm I'm thinking about, and I do this kind of at the end of every year. I I just take some mental stock of like my own life and just what we've been doing and. It still blows me away that, you know, I made this account on Instagram uh, three years ago and was like, hey, anyone else, uh, you know, concerned about the direction of their faith? (laughs) And I was like, in my attic, you know, like, and just posted it and kept going. And then here we are now as like a nonprofit organization that um, is just 
you know, reaching, I mean, this year on, on Instagram, we estimate we, we reached about 20 million people on Instagram. That's our estimate. Um, that's not including TikTok, et cetera, or the podcast. And it's like, oh my God, I, I cannot believe how far we've come. We have an amazing donor base that uh, donates every month and, and gives one-time donations to make this work possible. I've been able to make a modest living um, doing this work you know, since November of 2021. It's like, wow, uh, I've never built anything from the ground up before. I don't have any nonprofit experience. We've come so far. And then I also think about how much work there is to do both personally and professionally, so to speak, right? Like like this conversation, uh, talking about Daniel and Yusuf and just how um, how unintentionally, but still the point remains, you know, segregated we can still be, how even my mind goes to certain people groups for certain topics, you know, instead of like thinking about perspectives that might be really helpful to hear from and how we can learn from them. Uh, and then also just the work it takes to build an organization, you know, like it's, it's crazy because in some ways I think that we have become like, um, a very steady organization in this space. But in other ways, I'm like, we are still such a little tadpole in the world of media and in the world of just, um, of, you know, combating Christian nationalism, et cetera. So it's interesting. It's such a weird paradox for me of like, I don't want to never be grateful for what we've all done. You know, what our volunteers have done, what our team has done, our amazing board. And I, I don't want to ever take the life I get to live for granted for sure. And then, of course, at the same time, the way my mind works, I'm like, but there's just so much more to do. There's so much more potential for what could be, you know, to make yeah. an even bigger impact and let more people know that there are options. Be, uh, wait, there are many options between Christian nationalism or out the door of Christianity, and it's all bad, you know. Like again, if people leave the faith, that's totally fine. This is, that's that's not a moral judgment call, but at least we can say, hey, there's a whole house to explore if you want before you walk out the door and think that everything is fundamentalist evangelicalism, you know? So yeah, it's just very interesting to think about how much more work there is to do, you know? I think one thing that's important yeah. and I appreciate you know, the voices you guys bring in this too, that, you know, assuming that, you know, leaving certain spaces on certain issues towards, you know, social issues, towards ethics, towards, you know, the social gospel doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you have to abandon you know, all traditional theology. And I consider myself very inclusively orthodox, you know, in some ways, um, you know, that I, but, but for me, it's connecting with these ancient mysteries outside of the formula that we're used to kind of oppress. Actually, it's transformative. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for kind of spaces where yes. we can have these conversations where we can avoid putting, putting people in either box, you know, be it liberal or conservative. Um, but generally ask, how do we follow Jesus? Um, how do we faithfully follow Jesus? And how do we amplify voices like you're saying um, so that that message gets out there because it's so needed right now. Um, you know, so many people are hurting and, uh, it grieves me to see, you know, these cycles of history repeating themselves, you know. Yeah. Kieran, if, sure. if you don't mind me asking, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people in the audience that would have the same question. Yeah. Uh, do you have any recommendations for resources, particularly, you know, with all of your um, your experience working with indigenous communities? And that that's an area of, of my journey that I haven't even begun to explore yet, but something I would very much like to. If you have maybe, uh, whether it's podcasts or books or, or particular uh, thinkers in those spaces that maybe we could point people to, I'd, I'd really like to, to know where I could go mm. to start learning. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, it's, I always want to be careful, you know, even talking about Native American communities, you know, there's well over 
500 fairly recognized tribes alone. Um, and that doesn't even get into all the mm. communities that don't have the legal protections of being a fairly recognized mm. tribe. Um, so indigenous communities are so diverse and indigenous Christians are diverse. Um, the relationship between Christian faith and traditional values and is very, it looks very different in many places and many tribes. Um, but I think it's, um, you know, I've, I've been grateful for some uh, key voices. Um, we have, uh, the office of, of indigenous ministries in the Episcopal church has something called winter talk every year, um, which is basically native American voices from across our church, um, meeting on one reservation and having these deep intense discussions. Um, but in, the, in recent years, since COVID, they've actually been putting them online and people can actually see them. Um, we've been discussing deep wow. issues of legacy of boarding schools of what it actually means to have funding as an indigenous ministry within a larger church. Um, what it means to kind of, um, in our church, actually, we have our first, uh, Vice President of the House of Deputies, which is one of the two highest positions in our church, um, is actually a Native American woman um, for the first time. Um, but what does it mean to have representation? What does it mean to actually, um, you know, be? Um, but yeah, I could definitely recommend some ideas. Um, we have a uh, a few leaders of my tradition, um, but you know, there's also been some powerful voices from across many things. Um, and Richard Twist, I believe, comes from more of an indigenous background, uh, more evangelical background in the, in the uh, Lakota Church. He recently passed away, um, but he was actually from. Uh, some of the communities I worked in. Um, and he brought some really important questions into, you know, in many ways, a number of voices who kind of see uh, in many ways, their beliefs as a sort of old covenant, the way the, you know, Hebrew people um, had experiences of creator before, you know, Jesus. Um, but that isn't necessarily something that all native Americans would necessarily you know, speak to. Um, so I want to be sensitive to that. Um, we also have a uh, Bishop Mark Charleston of my church. Um, he's a beautiful, uh, he's a Choctaw, uh, Bishop of the Episcopal Church, and he writes beautiful books um, from a very devotional perspective. Um, but he also just wrote a book that's one of his more historical and theological books. Um, give me a moment. I'll, I can give it to you after the podcast, maybe. Um, I think he said that we, we survived. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a few powerful things that are coming out. Um, and I think it's important to not necessarily just listen to Christian voices, too, but to actually listen to Native American people uh, from different perspectives, but are just speaking to um, you know contemporary issues and what it means. What is the inter- intersection of activ- activism? and culture politics and religion and their communities. Um, you know, and many native American families and individual lives have diverse religious threads through them. And, uh, there's a lot that you don't even understand to actually speak to the communities. And there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Native American religion was legally outlawed until 1978 when we had to pass a law to let them practice it without being arrested. Wow. Um, and that's, that's so Jesus some of this history is very raw. Um, when I was living out west, speaking with Native American, with Lakota women in some of the Episcopal tr- churches, they they told me, "Yeah, this is the same asylum you would be sent to if you got caught doing this particular ceremony." You know, they'd say you were crazy, and they want, and they, and that was wow. an intentional way to remove the traditional authority figures from the culture, so they would lose that culture, so they'd mm-hmm. be afraid to be who they were. Um, but um, and at the same time, you have tribes who have became Christian, but now we're kind of trying to decide what does that mean today now that we can speak more openly about these things. Um, so it's, you know, it's, mm. it's a complex world. I don't necessarily want to rush to give any one voice because I feel that I'm cautious of doing that, you know, as a non-native person, but I'd be happy to share some resources with you maybe for the show notes um, and some spaces from a few diverse perspectives, if you'd like that. So that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Randall Woodley is another great person. He's, I believe he's okay. Cherokee. Um, and he wrote a book, uh, a few books that are very, intensely looking, but I think he actually comes from a Methodist Wesleyan perspective. Um, but he, he does some mm. great work on looking at the, the, the Christian concepts of Shalom in the Hebrew Bible and many native American ideas. Um, and, and, and as post-colonial theologian, he's a great voice as well. So. Mm. Love that. 
Well, um, thank you, Karen. That's really helpful. I, I appreciate your sensitivity around that. And uh, yeah, if you want to talk to Noah offline, you want to give him a few resources. Noah, I know you and I always say we'll put it in the show notes. Let's make sure we actually do. That's on <laughs> yeah. me. That's not on you. I'm the one who's yeah, like, yeah. we'll put it in the show notes. And it never ends up there because I don't tell you about it. So let's just try and make a note that if Kieran gives us anything, we'll put it in the show notes for the audience. Absolutely. You know, I, I think this is a, that's a really powerful note to end on. I, I do want to thank the audience You know, briefly before we wrap up for this year. I, um, again, I, I'm, I'm absolutely humbled and blown away that, that you would trust this organization, that you would trust me as a host and, uh, you know, just be with us through the whole journey. I know many of you have, have been listening since the beginning. I know we've gained a lot of new listeners as well. And uh, it is um, something that I do not take for granted. I don't take it lightly. I know Noda doesn't take it lightly. We want to make sure that we're always ethical and transparent and uh, doing our best to, to help you explore new paths as we are exploring them kind of in real time with you. But seriously, audience, I, I can't thank you enough for listening to the show, for supporting the work that we do. If you're a donor, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it, it, it makes this work possible. It makes it completely paywall free. It holds space for thousands of people. I do get many messages, sometimes a month, I'll get dozens of people saying, thank you for the work you're doing. It's helping so much. Thank you for the podcast. It's helped me undo this belief or that belief or learn this belief and whatever. And that's really because of people and their support. So I can't thank the audience enough for being here without them. There is no show. There is no one to talk to. And uh, it just means the world. I I truly am humbled that I get to do this for a living. And um, I truly believe and hope that there is um, better work for us to do. There is... Um, more people to amplify. There is uh, I don't know, better perspectives to hold, I think, as we navigate, hopefully, a, a more beautiful path forward, rooted in the Christian tradition, but also rooted in a very inclusive Jesus. Um, one thing that I've always has always stuck with me, I, I actually got this from the Bible Project, is that they say in the narrative of Scripture, it's about the, the blessing of God going out to more and more people. Mm. It's, it's an inclusive invitation that reaches first the Jew and then to the Gentile, et cetera. I just love that imagery, you know, yeah. that, that like throughout human history, the blessing of God is just going farther out and, and inviting more people, um, not only to the quote unquote table, whoever's table that is, it's obviously God's table, but also invites us into thinking about a, a bigger world that is more expansive and more diverse than just our own perspectives that we grew up in. Of course, not that it's bad to have a background or have cultural norms. None of those things are bad, but there's so many amazing ways of living life that are so beautiful that are beyond how we grew up. And I just love being able to explore that with, with the audience and have such amazing guests on. So, uh, Kieran, thank you uh, for hopping on this episode and, and being the the third guest. It was so cool having a listener perspective. And honestly, your perspective is really unique given the work that you do and your background. So let's definitely keep in touch. And, you know, hopefully um, we, we, we can find more folks to, to partner with and amplify their voices as we go along this journey. And, uh, and we can definitely learn from you. So thanks so much for being on. It means a lot. Yeah, Kieran, thank you so much. Absolutely, Tim. If I could just briefly share an image from the Bible, it kind of spoke to me as you said that, you know, we... We focus on kind of this, the doom and gloom parts of Revelation, but one of my favorite images at the very end, it, it speaks of the leaves of healing going out to creation. Um, and that's a passage that's really guided mm-hmm. me that all the nations, you know, um, are somehow part of that story in ways we don't understand. Um, so I'm grateful for you guys, you know, the small corner of the, the world that you're working. It's beautiful. And, um, and, and it's that. hopeful to me to see that, that this work is continuing intergenerationally. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 
Noah, I mean, dude, you're you're the foundation of the podcast, man. Without you, this stuff Whoa. doesn't go out. So oh, I don't know. I can't that, thank but... you enough. <laughs> no, um, it's true, dude. I mean, you're the one who edits the podcast. You're the ones who you know you you, you get the show notes from Carrie. Shout out to Carrie who does all of our show notes, you know, religiously, um, who makes sure that people actually know what the hell's going on inside the episode. So this is not just a me effort, friends. I mean, without Noah, without Carrie, you would not be getting a podcast at all. Noah literally edits it down. He uploads the podcast. Now we have Kevin helping us out with edits. So this is truly a team effort. I can't thank you enough. So glad to be here. This is I'm so energized for 9 p.m. at night right now. This is so refreshing. It's great. I'm really glad we did this here. And thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. It was so great to meet you. Also, Noah, really quick, last shout out. Yeah. I just want to point out to uh, to the audience that, Noah, you've been with me almost since day one, bro. You know that, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you have, I think, not, mu- not much longer after the podcast started, you reached out like, hey, you need help. I'm an audio engineer. I'm like, yes, I need help. So I think this is, <laughs> uh, what, two and a half years now we've been working together? Wow. It's amazing, dude. Yeah. It's been, it's it's been cool, a great bro. ride. I love it. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. It means a lot. Trust me. It does. All right, audience. Well, listen, I wish you a happy new year. I wish you a great new year. I will talk to you. Well, I'm not going to say I'm going to talk to you. You're going to hear my voice in three more days with another podcast episode (laughs) dropping out or dropping off. And oh, lastly, I really would love your feedback on what we talked about. I mean, what kind of content do you want to see? Do you kind of feel a little exhausted from author interviews? Do you want to hear some of these authors in different contexts? Do you want more content kind of you know, covering cultural issues, political issues, theological issues. Like, give me the feedback. I know it's tough to maybe close down the app, go to your email or DM me, but if you can make the time, that would be great. If you could also rate the podcast, that'd be so helpful. And lastly, but maybe most importantly, if you want to support the work that we do, being donor funded without that, you know, donation, this work just does not happen. And we're really trying hard to fund Project Amplify. So right now, all donations go to that to help extend this content, to hire the right people, to actually start building out that coalition of credible voices as we look to an election year, doing our best, not only to combat Christian nationalism, but to give people a better path forward rooted in their love for Jesus and and freedom for all of their neighbors, not just the white Christian nationalist ones. So, all right, friends, have a great night. Good talking to you. I'll talk to you on a few days. See you later. Happy New Year. Go with God. Go with God. There we go.